we went to a larger race event and we were getting zero foot traffic just where we were. And it was demoralizing. It was like, you know, sitting at your booth, hoping somebody will come by. And eventually I grabbed a, a one of our large uh, sock foot models, uh, human leg size sock model. And we had one of our tall compression socks on it. And so I would walk out into the, the main thoroughfare where people were walking by and I would hand them the mannequin leg and say, Hey, have you checked out our socks uh, before? And they would grab this huge leg and look at me like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> so I, you know, quickly found out that was not the best way to sell socks either. But. Welcome to Life of a Founder. Our goal here is to give you an inside look at the experiences of small business owners who have started, operated, and grown a business from the ground up. We strongly believe that there's no better way to learn than by listening to the stories of others. So whether you're already an entrepreneur or dreaming of becoming one in the future, we're sure you'll gain valuable insights from every episode. Without further ado, let me introduce you to the man behind the mic, our host, Matthew Sumter. As a product-based company, um, I'm sure cost of goods sold is a big chunk of your expenses. I mean, what kind of percentage is that? Half of your expenses, or it definitely depends on the product and the product uh, category. And I've, I've found, you know, in the e-commerce world, there's a lot of different ways to to parse that in terms of what you include in your cost of goods sold. For me, and I, I've got a little bit of a financial background, and my wife is uh, an accountant, so we like to debate stuff like this uh, and nerd out on it. But uh, to me, to really talk about your cost of goods, you not only need to think about your landed cost of the inventory, so that's your, you know, making the product wherever in the world it's made, paying the, the customs and the freight, and getting it uh, on the shelf in the warehouse ready to ship out in all the packaging. That, to me, is what I would call a full landed cost. Like, all you have to do from here is pick it up and ship it. On a lot of e-commerce goods, would shoot to get that into the 25, 30% uh, range of uh, cost to, uh, to retail sales point. From there, there's a lot of other, what I would call direct selling costs that are not traditionally put into COGS, cost of goods sold, but I think, you know, ought to be there, um, especially in the e-commerce world. So in order for us to sell a product, uh, it often will have to go through pay-per-click advertising. So that can be Google or, or Facebook. And somebody's clicking on that link before they come to buy your product. That's like an automatic discount uh, off the top of you paying for that for that lead. And then there's the fulfillment cost. You know, if you're working with a third party warehouse, there is like a per order or per item charge for pulling that. You've already got the item on the shelf, landed cost, but there's still a cost to pull it off the shelf and put it in an envelope and apply the sticker and uh, get it, uh, you know, get it shipping. Yeah. The fulfillment cost, the shipping cost itself. Another one that, that hides in there that you don't think about is the uh, payment processing cost. You know, you get those reward points on your credit card. Well, it's, it's the business uh, that's paying for that out of the uh, payment processing fees. So that's another three, three and a half percent on right top of the top. Yeah. Right off the top uh, as well. And then, you know, as, as, uh, as you make things more complicated, you've got uh, some deals you may have done with uh, ambassadors or affiliates that uh, may also have a percentage of the sale that they get as well. So I, I like to try to make all of those things in to really understand what's the true direct cost associated uh, with a sale. And, and you're, you're, you're getting above 50% a lot of times when you put all of those items in. Now yeah. you can make it on an on income statement. You can make it look a lot better by putting all those things below the line as, as operating expenses. 
Um, but uh, I like to see him up top and just get a, a true sense for, you know, at that point, you could call it more contribution margin than uh, than a profit margin. Contribution margin, you know, after after this product goes out the door, what's it really contributing to the to the gross profits that I can now use for operating expenses? He talked about the kind of the triangle of uh, cost and quality and that sort of thing. How would you say that you balance quality versus service versus price? Quality, service, price. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of one of those pick two. And, and for us, it's going to be quality and service. Like we're, we're not going to be the cheapest, uh, pair of socks that you can buy. Uh, if you want to get on Amazon or Timu and, and, uh, and, and, and find, uh, the $9 pair of compression socks, you can do that, but you're probably not going to get, uh, the service and your, and your, uh, your, your quality is, you know, questionable at, at best. So, yeah, if I'm going to choose two out of those three, product quality is uh, number one, and then a close second for me is the customer service. We always, from the very beginning, have taken great care of our customers, just gone you know above and beyond to make things right. If anybody ever has a problem, uh, and that's what keeps people coming back, because they know you know they're going to have a good experience, even if it doesn't start out that way for some reason. We're going to take care of them. You cannot provide good service if you're trying to be the low cost provider. There's just no way to do it. <laughs> People are expensive. Yeah. Huh. Labor. Yeah. Have you ever experienced any kind of burnout or considered shutting down selling, just walking away from this? <laughs> uh, fortunately, no more than like a passing thought. I mean, I've had, uh, uh, I w- I've never burned out, but I've had, you know, periods of high stress or high burn, uh, throughout the, uh, the decade or so of it, been doing this. And if I try to, understand like what drove uh what, what triggered those time periods um often it's um uh, not doing enough delegation you know finding myself in a spot where you know i'm, I'm working too much in, in the business versus uh on the business and that's one of the one of the barometers that i that i can uh use to tell uh if i'm if i'm doing the right things um you know i i don't mind working hard at all you know i i i uh, I, I found that over the years some of the best growth that we've had in the business is when I've been able to you know, do some deep work, some focus work and, and just put my head down and, and just grind away at something that I know we need to do. But those things tend to be the ones that are, uh, you know, new processes or, you know, building something that's a, a new platform or scale that we can, we can then, you know, plug our team into. And it's a, an ongoing long term, uh, new part of the business that will, will pay dividends for a long period of time. Um, but something where I can, you know, put in that, that deep level of effort and then slowly extricate myself as we can automate it, systematize it and put people in, in, in place. And then, you know, if I keep myself there too long and, and start to become more of the, the operator of those new processes and places, you know, at the same time that I've started to pick up the next new thing and the new shiny object that I'm trying to improve or, or a new process I'm trying to bring in, you know, really stretch yourself too thin. So it's, it's like being, um, you're really disciplined about, you know, if, you, if you're going to commit to do, commit to do something, recognize that there are other things you need to say no to. So we, we like to, you know, run our business on a small number of, uh, big rocks, uh, every, every month. And that's, that comes from like the traction book from, uh, you know, Willick, you know, that you can't, you, you couldn't do anything, but you, you can't do everything. So, you know, prioritizing, picking the few number of things you're going to really focus on for this month. Um, trying to knock those out. And then once you, uh, once you have it up and going, focus on, you know, creating a system around it, making it repeatable, 
and then you know being able to ex- extricate yourself and uh, bring people in or, or uh, agencies in or consultants in to run it from there. But uh, don't allow yourself to create and, and have you know job after job after job after job without uh, handing some of those things off. Okay. How do you personally measure the success? What's your day-to-day goal when you look back? How do you say it was a good month? It was a good year. <laughs> oh man, so so uh, loaded question, but honestly. Every day that I, I get up and get to do this is a good day. I, I'm grateful every day that I, you know, have my own business and, uh, that I work with all of the, the cool people that we've uh, brought onto the team. It's a job and it's a lot of work, but it's also, I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I, I, I find myself sort of permanently unemployable at this point in a <laughs> traditional <laughs> sense. Now that I've, uh, tasted how sweet it is to kind of, uh, uh, you know, be able to have the, the, the freedom and flexibility to, uh, help direct the company to go in, in a way that I think it, uh, should go. You know, I, but I, I put in a lot of time too in the corporate world where, you know, your day is driven by one phone call to the next phone call and meeting after meeting after meeting. And, um, it was a, it was a change and a nice, uh, change for me to be able to stop doing that and, and basically, you know, only take the phone calls that I think are meaningful to, to, to run the business or the meetings, the meetings we have on the calendar, are the ones that I think are important, like yeah. the, the ability to drive your own schedule like that and, and help drive a, a team just, you know, is, is very rewarding and fulfilling for me. From, from that standpoint, I would, I measure success on, do I have to go get a day job or not? <laughs> do I have to go get a real job? Welcome. Thank God, you know, over the last decade or so, I've been able to say, no, I can keep doing this uh, every day. And that's, that's my personal lever of success, uh, measure of success. As a team, we get, uh, you know, a little more scripted with it. You know, our goal every year is to try to get towards, uh, like a 10%, um, net income. And I'm a big believer in, you know, trying to fit that in from the beginning of the year. If you've got a, a, a revenue target for your business, um, and you know roughly what your gross margin is or that co- contribution margin is, you know, the very next thing that I like to recommend you do is, you know, figure out, well, what do you want your profit to be at the end of the day? What, what do you want that net income to be? And if it's 10% and your gross margin is 50%, that tells you immediately there's only 40% left to work with. And you're going to have to pay for all of your people and all your marketing and any travel and anything else out of that 40%. So you, know, you can start to make some buckets pretty quickly. But if you don't do that, you'll start, you know, there's a way to spend all that money and you'll find yourself at the end of the end of the year with uh, zero net income or negative net income. So you know, I think the um, uh, the ability to uh, pin that number first and then make your company, size your company in a way that it fits the net income you want to generate um, is a better way to think about it. And uh, it will help you get there. I don't need exact numbers, but just over the 12 years, what has been the growth? I mean, are you have you doubled every year? And I know it's changed a little bit probably year to yeah. year, but kind of what's that trajectory look like? Um, it, you know, it's, it's been a, um, sort of a, a nice, uh, growth from when I started in 2012 up through 2015, 16, 17. Those were what I would call like the, uh, the highlight years of the obstacle course racing world. That's where the, the top participation, you know, probably multi-million, multi-millions of people were running those races every summer, uh, really from like, actually from you know, March all the way through October and November. So I would say following the growth of that obstacle course racing world, 
we had our peak years in like 17, 18, 19. And then, you know, we talk about the, the pandemic. COVID was yeah. just a brutal thing for uh, our industry with, because we were so driven by races. I mean, I think the number one reason people would buy our uh, gear was they just signed up for a race. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to train and make sure they had the right equipment for the race. And when those races went away, they, they lost their reason to uh, yeah. <laughs> come, come shopping on our website. So our worst year was 20 and 21. The races slowly started coming back. But there were some silver linings in that period because, you know, it forced us to be nimble and, and creative about where we were going to find our revenue and, and follow our customers. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest lessons is that our, our customers weren't racing. So we, we had to dig in and find out what they were doing. And, uh, we realized that trail running was really taking off, you know, people getting out in the, in the open and away from other people yeah. and, and hitting the trails and, and hiking, uh, and also rucking, um, you know, really just, I started to hear about it, uh, around then people getting out with the heavy backpacks and, and doing that either, either solo or in uh, small, small groups. So it was during that time period that we sort of shifted our focus as well. And, uh, we followed our customers into those, those other call it parallel sports. And today, uh, you know, we now have a large part of our customer base that is rucking oriented, that is trail running oriented, that we, we wouldn't have had uh, before the pandemic when we were pretty much only focused on obstacle course racing. Huh. Um, and then the other part was custom. We, we, we really only started doing custom uh, socks uh, for customers during the pandemic. And it was sort of a pivot where we said, all right, no one's doing races right now, but, um, you know, Large companies are wanting to make socks and send them out to their employees at home as a, uh, hey, we're still here kind of reminder. So we, we did a lot of custom sock orders during those days and we, we continue to do that now as a additional, uh, revenue stream. So, you know, 22, uh, 23, really, uh, 22 really started to build back up. And then 23 for us is when that, that rucking community started to show, uh, even more growth. And, uh, we made a, uh, it was, it was sort of like a, a 10 year throwback to our very beginning. When, when we first started by understanding that obstacle course racing world and making a specific sock for it, 2022, 23, uh, we got close with the rucking groups and, and tried to understand what they wanted. And we made a rucking sock, um, that was, I think, you know, the, the best combat boot sock, work boot sock, rucking sock, um, that's ever been made. And the, Response to that was, was great and, and quickly grew that to be, you know, one of our, I think our second top selling, second or third top selling sock that year, uh, and just pushed us to go even further in the rucking direction. So we did, we did a really cool all weather hoodie that, uh, you could wear, you know, any, any, any uh, type of, uh, elements, uh, if you're out there rucking and then led us down the direction to work with, uh, a partner VJ shoes on our first, uh, rucking uh, boot, uh, was just released. It's called, called the, the Mud Gear Speed Rock and just an exciting time for us to, to be doing something we, we thought would be, uh, you know, maybe on a roadmap one day, but this allowed us to do it much faster and, and, uh, uh, you know, address this need in the rucking world where there's a lot of military boots that are out there, but this, this is something that sort of, uh, blends the world of rucking with trail running and hiking that gives it a really performance based profile to a shoe that is also fantastic for, you know, uh, military style rucking marching as well. So that's really helped us in uh, 23 and, you know, 24, we're shaping up now, you know, we should, 
uh, <laughs> we're only, you know, a month in, but, uh, things are shaping up that hopefully 24, you know, could be one of our, our best years, uh, okay. since uh, inception. Very cool. Are you ready for another loaded question? Of course. All right. Um, how much would you attribute the success that you've had to hard work, strictly luck, opportunities that have come along? Where do you see that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would be, uh, I, I, I would be, I would be, I would be stupid to think that luck hasn't played a large part. <laughs> um, timing, you know, I think is also a part of luck. Uh, yeah. the, the idea at the right time, that one little moment of walking into a, a, a sock factory at the same time that a young guy who knew what our sport was all about was coming yeah. back into the fold has to be a, a, a moment of luck. And there's been, you know, millions of little moments of luck all along the way in terms of, you know, the right person needing a job at the time that we were hiring. And that person happened to be a rock star that we would, uh, you know, end up spending the next five, 10 years together. The first employee I ever hired just, just had her, uh, 10 year anniversary. And I couldn't imagine having, you know, done any of this, uh, without, without, uh, her in, in, in her spot. So yeah, there's, there's things that I would, you know, call good fortune and, and luck that happened all along the way. But there's there's also no doubt that there was a ton of work involved, not just for me, but by, you know, the the entire team that has uh, helped get us to where we are. Sounds good. Do you have any funny or interesting stories, things that happened either with a supplier maybe or at an event or anything that comes to mind that maybe was <laughs> a weird um, situation? Yeah, there's 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 a bunch, but I I'd say uh some of my you know, early memories of trying to, uh, learn how to sell socks are, are, are pretty humorous. I used to drag my wife out to some of the race events and we would set up a tent and we would have a table with our uh, sock products on it. The first couple of times, uh, you know, the, the, the socks were just falling all over the place because we had these, these cheap mannequin feet. Uh, we couldn't figure out how to get them to stand up just right. Some of them had rocks in the bottom and pebbles to try to make them stand up correctly. Some of them weren't working. <laughs> and yeah. It was just a, a comedy to see what, who could make them all stand up. And uh, then we, we went to a larger race event and we were getting zero foot traffic uh, just where we were. And it was demoralizing. It's like, you know, sitting at your booth, hoping somebody will come by. And eventually I grabbed a, uh, a one of our large uh, sock foot models. We got one here. Uh, you know, it was, it was like one of these guys, but it was probably even a little taller, like a, like a full, uh, human leg size sock model. And we had one of our tall compression socks on it. And so I would walk out into the, the main thoroughfare where people were walking by and I would hand them the mannequin leg and say, Hey, have you checked out our socks uh, before? And they would grab this huge leg and look at me like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> right. so I, you know, quickly found out that was not the best way to sell socks either, but. Trial, trial and error and doing a lot of uh, crazy uh, stuff like that just to figure out, you know, uh, how to sell. And, you know, and also, you know, those experiences make me uh, very thankful for uh, some platforms and ability to sell online as well. So I'm not having to do that every day. There's plenty of people who are much better in, in uh, uh, the event sales area than I am. So I, I learned quickly to, to get out of there and. Um, funny enough, when I wasn't around, it was just my wife. She sold like twice as many socks. So I, I need to get out of there more. Makes often. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, as much as you're willing to tell us, um, what are your future plans for your company? Do you intend to keep growing, stay with it, 
you know, get as big as you can. Uh, is there any thoughts about future acquisitions or anything like that or selling off any ownership or what, what are you thinking? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, it goes back to my earlier comment about just being thankful to be able to do this every day. That puts me in a spot where I'm in no hurry or, or no, no rush to exit or sell or, you know, divest or anything like that. You know, if I could continue running this and, and achieving a good net income and a good salary, uh, you know, um, then, you know, I'd, I'd love to keep doing this, uh, for a long, long, long time. You know, maybe at some point I, I start to do an even better job of delegating and, uh, get myself uh, a little more, uh, a little more less hands on, uh, in the long, long term. I'd say like over, over 10 years and where we are right now, uh, I have put myself in a spot where, uh, we've allowed things to get too complex. So if we were to, you know, consider selling a brand or, uh, somehow simplifying, that would be the reason is just to, uh, be able to focus on the things that are, you know, most impactful and where we want to put our growth and, and, uh, and not allow ourselves to be distracted by, um, all the things that I've accumulated over the way. That's, it, it's an easy thing. And I think it's an important thing when you're, when you're just starting your business to try to say yes to everything. You know, like we, yeah, we can do that. Or yeah, you know, we don't, we're not really in that business, but we can help figure that out for you. Or we can make custom socks or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, that helps you figure out what does work. But, uh, you know, at some point as you grow, you've got to, you know, refocus, recalibrate and say, okay, do all these things still make sense? Are we overcomplicating things? And, uh, you know, a larger, larger company is probably much more, um, focused on exactly, you know, what it's, what its mission is, what its product market fit is, because it's, has been able to cut through those things and simplify back down to the, the most important elements. Have you had anyone approach you wanting to purchase or talk about any partnership in that ownership? Yeah. Yeah. We've had that, uh, over time. And, and there's, there's also just a, an industry of spammers who, uh, who love to contact you through, uh, email and LinkedIn that are, uh, you know, just blowing a lot of hot air about their investment uh, firm and. Uh, and that sort of thing. And I don't, I don't take, uh, many or any of, of those calls. I think when the, when the time comes for us, it's going to be, you know, because strategically there's something that we want to do differently or, or we're just, you know, a perfect fit for somebody else strategically. But, you know, ha- seeing this go into the hands of a, a PE firm or an aggregator is not, not, you know, my dream for the company. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get a little personal to wrap up, if you don't mind. As an entrepreneur, a lot of times, you have a lot of other ideas and business ideas and thoughts, things you don't have time to look into. Are there, is there anything that comes to mind right now, like a, an idea or two of businesses that you've thought about? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think, uh, the, one of the, one of the signs of a true entrepreneur is that shiny object syndrome. And, and one way you can tell that somebody has it, especially in my world and my e-commerce world is ask to see the, uh, uh, the, the, the graveyard of domain names that they purchased and not done anything with. <laughs> I've, I've got a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> they are all are brilliant ideas at the time and maybe they, maybe they still will be. Um, and you just can't let go of them. It's like that, that renewal bill comes around every year. It's like, oh, I could just let that go. But there's just that small spark in the back of your mind that maybe one day I will do something with that. So. Um, some of my favorite, that's where I would look. Some of my favorite domains that I bought thinking I would one day do something. Um, during the pandemic, I bought backyardconcert.com, which is, was going to be a marketplace to be able to book your own artist to come, uh, put on a show in your backyard. It'd be huge with 50 birthday parties and, uh, <laughs> cover and that, bands and yeah, put your cover band. 
And then artists, you know, most of the money could go directly to the artists. You cut out a lot of the other hands that are in the pockets. Yeah. So that's a, if somebody wants that business, let me know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm willing to let it go. I've got, uh, OBX kayaks, Outer Banks kayaks is a, a business I just about started with doing some importing of kayaks. I mean, my son and I got really deep into kayak fishing for a while and we love to, you know, go down and do some redfish, uh, hunting down, down in South Carolina and, so, wow, this could be a cool business. Um, and, uh, thought about, you know, going that route, but you know, another one, uh, I got was, uh, so we started doing the, 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 uh, the custom socks. And one day on a drive, my wife and I were talking about how cool it would be if, uh, if some of these breweries, I mean, this is when the breweries, microbreweries were popping up all over the place and they all had their fun and interesting artwork on their cans. I said, well, what if we, what if we approach them and, and put the art, the can artwork on socks that they could sell in the front of the brewery? And I said, yeah. Oh, what about, what about the domain Hoppy Socks? H-O-P-P-Y, <laughs> Hoppy Socks. And, and, uh, she said, look it up. So we're in the car and I'm looking at Hoppy Socks. I'm like, yes, this is a brilliant idea. And it was available, you know, $9 <laughs> and, and, uh, bought the domain and put up a little landing page for it and then realized that, you know, those, uh, those businesses wanted to sell hats and, and maybe, you know, order a pack of 12 socks or something like that. And if I'd taken it upstream and, and found, you know, a way to get in with the, uh, the regional distributors and, uh, and, and larger, uh, you know, beer companies, maybe, but Hoppy Socks is another one that's sitting there waiting for, you know, one day to, the nice thing about that one is you could write off all your trips to breweries to uh, try to make sales calls, but maybe, you know, maybe you're a time to get. So there's three. Anybody can have those. Either. All right. They can contact you if they'd like to purchase those domain names. One, one point on that I do want to make. A lot of people are worried, but before they start their business, a lot of people are worried that someone's going to take their idea. And, you know, that's probably happened somewhere in history before. Maybe, maybe Zuckerberg did or, <laughs> or, or whatever. But I, for the most part, what I've seen is that ideas are pretty cheap. You, you might have a, a great idea. Even great ideas are pretty cheap, but what's rare is focus and execution. Right. Um, don't worry about somebody knowing what your idea is, if they don't have the heart and the will to go, you know, do the work that it takes to make it happen, you know, they're not a threat to you. You you can use all the help you can get, advice and, and mentorship all along the way. And focus and execution is what it takes to to make a business. A great idea is is vaporware until it's yeah. got hard work behind it. Uh, there's not very many unique ideas actually out there. <laughs> Most of them have been yeah. tried, at least. So. Well, and, and the thing you'll find is, is as you start your business, you will have more ideas than you know what to do with, and, and you'll start your own graveyard of domain names, <laughs> and you'll you'll wonder how you never realized there were so many great business ideas out there. I mean, that's the ideas are not the hard part. Yeah. All right. When you're not working on your business, what do you like to do for fun? Do you get any time to get out there and? Explore the outdoors or yeah. what else do you like to do? Uh, uh, so, um, here in Charlotte, we've got good weather a lot of the year, except for August. We always wonder why we live here in August and try to get away. So I'm a family guy. Um, my wife and I, we have two kids, got one in college now and I've got a junior in high school. Um, uh, he's into soccer. So we go into a lot of his soccer games. We're Tar Heel basketball fans. So this time of the year, that, that is, uh, you know, a, always a source of, uh, joy and pain. <laughs> Uh, but we, we follow those games a lot. Do like to get outdoors. I mentioned my son was into fishing. He still is. And we, we, we try to do that. And then, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I realized I didn't have any really good, good hobbies. Uh, 
I think I had, I had let myself burn the burner on work a little too hard. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself into, uh, uh, vinyl. I got myself a nice seventies, mm-hmm. uh, uh, vintage receiver turntable and getting into that a little sure. bit, trying to develop some hobbies more to, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my, my business has, has been both a, a lot of hard work and a hobby at times too, but had to force myself to, uh, uh, have, uh, have other interests. <laughs> find, find time to unwind and you got relax it. a little bit. Do you have any mentors that you kind of look up to or go to for advice regarding your business? I do. And, um, I think that's, I think that's important, uh, you know, pretty early on is to find, find some, especially if you're doing it on your own, especially find some people that you can share the journey with, uh, that may be in a similar spot to you. So I've had a mastermind group for a long, long time, um, a few different iterations of it. So, you know, I consider those mentors, even though they're, you know, in the same, Roughly the same position I am in terms of growing the, the, uh, the company, going through that with other folks and, and being able to learn from each other is, is, uh, a great benefit. And then I've had a few folks who, who've been further down the path than me that, you know, have, have grown a business a lot larger than ours or who have, you know, now sold a business or things like that that I can, um, call on from time to time. I've had a, a lot of, uh, good interactions with some guys that, are, you know, maybe, maybe a decade or so older than me and have been down this path. You know, things are always different. Um, but some of the, the core things stay the same and they're, they're valuable to have as a sounding board as I'm, you know, thinking about strategy or thinking about, uh, you know, marketing direction or, you know, how should I be approaching these vendors or whatever else? They ask good questions. So I would, I would definitely encourage anyone, um, who's, starting or or recently started a business to start looking for others to go along the journey with you. And whether for fun or education, what are you listening to or reading or watching right now? Yeah. Um, I mentioned my Tar Heels. Other than that, uh, I do like podcasts. My podcasts tend to tend to be work-related. I've got a lot of e-commerce um, podcasts that I listen to. And I, I think I started that as a habit, even, even when I had my uh, career job. I would, uh, I would listen to podcasts in my industry on the way to work, on the way from work. And that was a lot of my early education about e-commerce because I didn't, I didn't have the background. Um, but there were other folks who were building e-commerce businesses. And, you know, to this day, some of my favorite podcasts are ones that I was listening to even way back then. Um, e-commerce fuel is a big one. The uh, e-com crew, I've been able to get to know some of those guys over time, being in, uh, some, some different forums, uh, with them and. There's a, a new one, or not not too new, but uh, a growing one out of the F3 world. Uh, uh, good friends with uh, Brian Joe, this Hello Kitty that runs the COT podcast. That's another one that I uh, always have queued up as well. Gotcha. All right. Well, you may not have thought about this recently, but as a child, did you exhibit any tendencies that you think would predicate you towards entrepreneurship? Hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I. Uh, I, I can only speak for my own experience, but I kind of feel like people who want to run a business know it pretty early. <laughs> um, I would say that, uh, I had no real reason to be like that. You know, uh, I don't know if you're born that way or what, but, uh, you know, my family, my, my dad was a director of a library system. Uh, my mom was the editor of a newspaper. Uh, neither one had a, you know, a lot of business experience or business school or entrepreneurial, uh, bend. But for some reason, it, you know, caught my attention early. And when I remember, you know, I, I had a grass cutting business. Uh, I started selling t-shirts in high school. 
Um, so kind of, you know, I kind of haven't gotten too far away from that selling t-shirts <laughs> way back then and now yep. performance that just the, just the fabric, the nylon, uh, in poly, <laughs> the materials have changed, but it's still the, still the same, same thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, as I got into college, it's such a dorky thing to do, but even as I'm in college and then going to business school, I used to keep a journal of business ideas, just things that hit me as, oh man, here's, here's, here's one I could do or here's one I could do. And, yeah. Um, there were some, you know, some good ones along the way and it wasn't the right time or it wasn't, you know, the, the perfect idea along the way. But I feel like, I feel like I've wanted to have my own business since as long as I can remember. Um, and just kept doing things to put myself, give myself the flexibility to pull the trigger when the right one came along. So I would say, yeah, I had obvious tendencies from early, yeah. early. <laughs> I think, I think that's a common trait with entrepreneurs that they probably start out with some of those things like that. Well, let's do a few rapid fire questions real quick. You just yeah. tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. What is your fav- favorite weather? Favorite weather is sunny on the beach. Sunny on the beach. Favorite social media app? Oh, I, I kind of have a distaste for all of them right now. Uh, <laughs> Understandable. Uh, but, uh, if I had to, if I had to pick one, gosh, um, I, you know, I, I, I probably like, uh, I probably dislike Instagram the least right now. There we go. Do you wear socks with sandals? Never. <laughs> Slides, maybe sandals. Favorite snack? Uh, gosh, uh, chips and salsa. All righty. Well, thank you for spending the time with me today. Uh, how can people yeah. find out more about your business? Your website you mentioned. Yeah. Mudgear.com. yeah that, uh, that's, that's the best introduction. Mudgear.com will show you all about our socks and apparel for outdoor athletes. Uh, some cool stuff there. You can check out the new ruck shoes there. If you are the kind of person that sweats and gets your car seat dirty, SeatShield.com is uh, where to hit that one. And if you got a soccer player, uh, like my son, who's into club soccer, they will know what grip socks are. The, uh, the, the, the World Cup, uh, athletes, the Premier League athletes, they're all starting to wear these special grip socks that give you more traction and touch on the ball, on the ball. And, you know, if, if the pros are wearing it, the kids want it. So you can, you can find those at the gripsocks.com. Right. And of course, anybody involved in F3 or FIA, hopefully you know about the F3 gear store. That's at f3gear.com yep. and uh, fiagear.com. All right. Excellent. Any offers or sales coming up that we should know about or keep on? Yeah, we have, uh, we've got, um, the new ruck shoes have a sale. And in fact, we've got a sale on some of our, uh, socks right now as well. Uh, code made tougher, all one word made tougher will get you a discount at them. Uh, awesome. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to Life of a Founder. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And if you have any friends or family members who would enjoy the show, please share the link with them. We truly believe that small businesses are the lifeblood of our communities. So we encourage you to take that first step and start your journey toward business ownership. Don't overpay in real estate commissions when you don't have to. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home in Kansas City, call Neil at 395-REALTY or visit www.list4lesskc.com. That's listforlesskc.com. With Neil's commission model, you only pay 1% in seller's agent fees at closing while still receiving the full representation and service you expect. Make your next move with Neil. Call 913-744-6368 or email neil at listforlesskc.com. That's neil, N-E-I-L, at list, the number four, 
lesskc.com.